welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. Episode 31, we're going to be checking out one of the AFL superstars, Anthony Kudafides. When I was growing up, I have a lot of cousins that actually supported Carlton back in the day, so I knew Kuda was, even even though with the fact that I was from New South Wales, and it wasn't like it was now when Fox Sports is around, and even the newspapers, newspapers back in the days hardly even, it was hardly even a blurb on the Sydney Swans, let alone the Carlton Blues, but every time I used to go down to Melbourne to visit my cousins, they used to always talk about Kuda, and you know, I got following him a little bit, and then... You know, I love looking at back at all the old games, so I've always checked out what he's done. And to play a 278 senior games for Carlton and be amongst their greatest ever players, it is quite a testament to quite an athlete too because he was a state high jumper and I think he was very close to going to things like the Olympic Games. So quite the athlete at Akuda and there's no real surprise to see him doing really well in the health and wellness space as well. So we're going to touch on a lot of different stories from his career and just a little advice on life after footy as well. It's going to be a great chat. Before I get Kuda on, just a big thank you to everyone tuning into the show, leaving five-star reviews on iTunes and just telling your family and friends. If you want to get connect with me, please send me an email at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. We can chat me on Facebook. I'm either Tristan Cannell, that's spelled K-apostrophe-N-E-L-L, or Talking With TK, or I'm also on the tw- Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn. So please connect. Let me know what you think of the show and any guest requests. But for now, let's get straight into it. I present Anthony Kudafides. All right, my guys, my special guest is Anthony Kudafides. Kuda is a former legend of AFL, having played 278 senior games for Colton. Away from the sport, he's forging a path in health and wellness, and I'm excited to have him on today. And I welcome Anthony Kudafides. Kuda, welcome to the show, bud. Thanks very much, Tristan. Great to be on, mate. Absolutely, mate. It's been a little while, and we're trying to, you know, co-in-line schedules and things like that, so I'm absolutely stoked to have you on today, bud. So let's start in the present, Kuda, because I know you're doing some great things, health and wellness, and you know after such a marvellous AFL career. My first question to you, with, with the stuff that you're doing with Herbalife and also Kuda Fit, what's, what do you find the most challenging now as a business owner? Well, look, there's always challenges. We always do that. No difference to my footy career too, Tristan. I think when I retired, we'll probably go into depth of it later on. That was probably a really difficult period for me to try to find myself again try to find something that I love with a passion and go about it with the commitment and discipline that I did with footy. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough, I actually got ill in 2010, you know, sleeping 11 hours a night and struggled to get out of bed. And I'd get home from work and sleep on the couch and the kids were running around. And yeah. I thought maybe it was just fatigue from my footy career, you know, so I had a week or two off and that didn't help. And, you know, trying to get back into it, I was going to see doctors' blood tests, eating organic food, eating clean, and nothing really helped until someone introduced me to Herbalife and I was real sceptical, like a lot of people. There's still a lot, you know, big mm. stigma about it now. But that product changed my life and that was only within six days and that's when I rang the guy who introduced me and said, wow, this is unbelievable. So that's where that, that sort of passion started because it had a, you know, massive profound effect on me and, uh, my health. And like what I say to people, you don't like it, don't, don't worry about it. But for me, it definitely didn't. It's helped millions and millions of other people, you know, worldwide. So, yeah, and initially I think the skepticism of the company and people, you know, unsure whether it was 
yeah. the right thing to do, you know, it was difficult for me to push through. But, you know, as I learned from others and spend time with the business to really understand how ethical the company is, I learned how incredible it is and the opportunity is no different to footy that if you work hard and really, you know, put time and effort into it, you can make a real successful business out of it. But, you know, people walk in with different perceptions, Tristan, and that I can't help and think they're just going to walk in and start earning money without working. And, you know, my footy career was no different, you know, $7,800 from when I first started to eventually hundreds and thousands, but I had to work hard, mm. you know. So it's the same thing. So everyone's in different different opinions on, on, on the business, but I know myself how ethical it is. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about Herbalife because you, you did describe before, you know, the fatigue that you used to have when you're eating organic foods and things like that, Kuda. So in terms of your diet right now, you know, you look in great shape still, man. Can you just take us through a bit of insights into that? Yeah, I mean, I eat clean and healthy, but I still enjoy myself too. I, you know, I've got an Italian mum, so dad was Greek mum's Italian. <laughs> so, yeah. I, you know, I grew up with pasta and pizza and all those sort of foods, and I don't stop myself from eating it now. I, I don't eat the fast foods, the junk foods is... You know, but if the family's eating certain foods, I just eat it. And I think, you know, combining Herbalife, Herbalife sort of fills in the gaps that maybe whole food eating doesn't have nowadays. And people eat clean and healthy, and I know, and, you know, feel feel good, but they probably still don't recover well from training or, you know, they eventually get tired and need a bit of time off. Well, I feel sustained energy all day long, you know, because I think Herbalife just gives me the added vitamins and minerals that, unfortunately, food just doesn't give us nowadays. But, you know, it's still important to eat healthy and eat the right foods. And so I've gone along that path. Yeah, I, eat, I still eat foods and I have my supplements and all those sort of things. And you're right, at the age of, you know, 44, I feel like, you know, I'm in really good condition considering my age. And there's a few, uh, you know, body wounds from over the years of going to battle, you know, with footy. But I've been able to just work around them. You know, I've got, you know, arthritic shoulders. I had a hip operation. But... I'm still able, there's always ways to work around it, and that's what I've found, you know, with footy that's been able to teach me also in the way that you can still train although you've got injuries, we can still work around it and push through a little bit of pain and, you know, try to work it through. So, you know, I, I believe I've got something that's sustainable for the future. So, you know, we can diet for a little while and then get caught up with it and then lose our battle because we crave certain things and all of a sudden you're eating and you put on two kilos it's taking you three weeks to lose in, in you know one weekend and people just get disheartened and stop so people got to just find a solution that they know is sustainable for the future that they don't have to really starve themselves they can just continually eat the foods and you know get it into the body and feel great at the end of it yeah Curtis, when you first announced your retirement from carlton we'll, yep. we'll talk about the mental side of it in a minute how did your body respond to not training and being with the boys all the time? I think when I went to bed, the body thought I was waking up going to training again. It took me a long time, Tristan, I'll be honest, because my entire life was sport, footy and athletics. Then it was footy full time. And I committed myself to the football club. And it was really hard for the body and the mind to understand that no longer have I got that commitment to the footy club. So on some mornings I'd wake up. In particular in the winter, I'm like, oh, God, I have to go to training. It was like, oh, no, no, I don't. Actually, I'm not playing anymore. So it was really hard to adjust, you know, at that sort of certain time. But certainly I was relaxed because for so many years, you know, putting your body under the under pressure and, you know, playing with injuries and pushing through, that finally I was able to just sort of rest the body a little too, which it certainly mm. every, you know, professional athlete needs that at the end of their career. Yeah. How hard was it? Because you put yourself through some other challenges post-retirement, like you were on Gladiators, you were on Dancing with the Stars, and 
That's two different sports altogether. Can you give us a few insights in how you prepared for both of those? Yeah, so Dancing with the Stars was 2006. I was still playing. I still had another year. Not that I knew it was only going to be one year to go. So I did that in the off-season. And look, that that was... It wasn't difficult. It was difficult only in the sense that, you know, we trained sometimes for eight hours in a day. But, mm. you know, when you compare that to footy, it's nothing like it. So I could recover from that. Not a problem. So people said... Oh, geez, it must have been hard and whatever. Yeah, it was hard because there's so many hours we had to put in. But in footy, you can't train for eight hours. You train for, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. And when I first started, two and a half, three hours, I got absolutely flogged. So the dance for eight hours wasn't difficult for me. It was just the longness of the days, and that's all it was. So that was great because, you know, you sort of leaned you down a little and the movements of it so much more gentle than footy. Mm. So that was a great experience. And great hours was tough because, you know, I got there at the end of my career. And I hadn't probably trained or done anything for three months, and all of a sudden I had a fitness test that I had to do 100 burpees, and by 70 my legs were oh, shaking, and, and I collapsed there, yeah, chin-ups, and whatever they put me through, look, at the end of the day, I still got in, I still became a great And when we first started, we trained for six weeks with these army guys, and uh, they absolutely belted us. And I dare say my fitness level compared to everyone at the start was the worst. But after a week or two, the body got it, you know, adjusted to it, and then I, you know, I was probably the best, or you know, in the top two after that. So once the body adjusted, uh, it, it wasn't a problem. So it was vigorous training just for an event that went for thirty seconds or a minute. <laughs> yeah, so it was really, really weird. But it was more about stripping down. We uh, we had a strict diet, of really, you know, protein-based stuff. But mate, my day off, I couldn't wait there to bowl a pasta, you know, because I just needed that for energy and stuff. So. Uh, it was it was uh, an interesting time, and you know, obviously there were some great athletes as well. But some of the things I just couldn't do because when I finished footy, my shoulders were weren't great at all. So they gave me a lot of pain with certain events, and so I couldn't do the climbing stuff. So I just tried to avoid it as much as I could. But you know, Channel Seven, man, they, they were great in, in understanding in that in that sense. Yeah, could he did really well considering the injuries that you did have through your whole career. To, you know, you played 278 senior games, so that's that's quite an achievement. Like, were you on yeah. a restricted program because of your injuries? <laughs> I sort of was before Dennis Pagan came along. Our last coach was a bit old-fashioned, <laughs> and, uh, you know, not his fault, or whatever. And that's the way he coached, and that's the only way he knew, I guess. And so I, was on the, I wasn't on the limited... I think other... Other players from other teams were the coaches that really understood them, you know, the older uh, types of players that had been in the system for a long time, had a lot more lenience than what I did, unfortunately. But, you know, I just had to accept it. And so, look, I pushed my body through as much as I could at the end. I sort of just, you know, gave, I think the body just gave up and gave in and I was mentally drained from it. But, you know, it is, we do put our bodies up under pressure. We play for, the, you know, the jumper and the club and we're basically paid to get out in the field as, you know, often as we can. In a season, so look, I had a lot of injuries. Um, you know, not only two hundred seventy-eight games. Uh, you know, I played fifty reserve games. I played finals footy, and I played for season games. And you know, there's a lot of games that I missed through injuries as well. But you know, as a footballer and as a professional athlete, no, no different than a business person. We just keep pushing. Whether you, you know, it's up up time or down time, we just keep going. Yeah. Because it's taking back to the start because you know you did just talk about playing fifty reserve games. Like for you being as naturally talented as it was, they still made you work for your spot. You spent three and a half years in that reserves team before you actually cracked it. So talk to me a little about that perseverance. Yeah, almost. There was the nineteen ninety one being on the senior list it was just reserves all year, but nineteen ninety two I think I was emergency a few 
quite a few times, and eventually they picked me round 13, 1992 against Adelaide Crows at Princess Park in Melbourne here. Um, so I played six games that year. Um, I then, in 93, played eight games, and then 94 played the first half, and I got dropped, dropped for two games, and then came back and played the rest of the season. When they played me on the wing, I, uh, I was in the best players almost every week, so something triggered, something happened on that day. Maybe the universe has said, this guy's tried it. <laughs> You know, stuck with it long enough for three and a half years and now it's time for us to sort of give him, you know, his reign to be able to just go and play the game that he's capable of playing. So it was really tough, Kristen, in all honesty, mentally. So I look back now and think it was only a short period of time, but those three and a half years were the longest period, you know, three and a half years of my life. There was self-doubts, unsureness, you know, going home and being emotional. But I was like I had the most incredible parents and two brothers yeah. that just supported me and believed in me and just kept telling me that I'm you know, better than the other guys. You're better, just keep going, keep going. And without their support, I doubt it very much I would make it. But I've taught me so many lessons in life that nothing comes easy for me. Maybe some other people, I'm not, I'm not sure. But for me, I had to work for it. So at the end of the three and a half years, though, what happened was you know, everything just escalated. And you know, the popularity factor... Uh, you know, people were just tapping you on the shoulder and you were getting, you know, it was commercials and sponsorships and everything else came with it after the hard work of pushing through the three and a half years, which a lot of people would have just said, no, I've had enough. So I'm very fortunate I had a wonderful family to support me. I doubt very much I could have got through without them. Yeah, tell me a little about your family, because I know you're very, very close to both your parents and they used to actually drive with you in the car and you used to drive yeah. the game as <laughs> you, well. You've done your research. <laughs> it's a great uh, yeah. story. Yeah, my father was born in Egypt but of Greek background and my mum was born in Italy. They both came out here and met each other and of course, you know, I had the three three of us, my older brother Paul, my younger brother Christian. Yeah, they didn't really want us to play footy when we first started. We fell in love with the game. We, you know, incredible Australian family took us to the game and back and then eventually my dad said, I'll start coming and then mum came along they didn't miss not one single game that I played. Yeah, I had to, you know, being a good European boy, I, I told them, look, it was time for them to make their own way to the footy once I started playing senior footy, but my mum wasn't going to, you know, be understanding to that. And so she put a stop to it very quickly and said, no, no, you're going to drive us. And so, yeah, I used to drive them, or my brother, you know, used to drive my, both mum and dad to the game. And look, they were very proud parents. And, uh, you know, they had lost, you know, all family connection, really, when they left overseas, you know, particularly their parents. They... You know, my mum lost both her parents by the age of 22. My father, when he had to flee Egypt, um, his father went to live in South Africa with his brother and sister, and his other two brothers went back to Greece, and he already lost his mum at the age of 17. So, you know, they didn't have a lot of, I guess, uh, you know, parent support at a young age. And so, you know, I always remembered that. And, uh, you know, so for them, it was, you know, I wanted to make sure I respected them. You know, I didn't have a lot of winning grub with money, but I had love and I thought I had everything, you know what I mean? Although we craved and, you know, wanted certain things, we, we couldn't get it, but we knew we had love and food on the table. And that, that was un- unbelievable when I think back of my upbringing. I unfortunately lost my father 19 years ago and that was the most difficult time of my life. Uh, don't worry about finishing, you know, retiring from football when I was a little bit lost, but that time when I lost my father, I lost myself. And it took me a long time to really understand it. And uh, probably took me a year before, you know, I was just thinking of him every single day and just wanted to be part of it. I would have given away everything just to have had my father there by my side. But, you know, he was gone. So one year you're driving the footy with him, having a laugh, yeah. and, you know. And the next year driving there without him was difficult for me. It taught me, you know, that 
I, uh, you know, I started hitting the, the alcohol and the drinks, and look, I didn't look after myself. I wasn't focused on footy, and almost because of that, almost, you know, my footy just deteriorated. And if I wasn't careful, probably would have been out of the system in a year or two, you know. But I thought about it one night, and I had two great mentors, Barry Mitchell and Wayne Britton, the two guys that taught me most about footy. And when they sat me down and said, you better think about what you're doing, I, I thought of my father, and I thought, you know what, um, how lucky I was to have him for that long. And I know my father wanted to see me play the best footy that I possibly could. So I promised him that I would um, train harder than I ever did before. And when I promised him, I wasn't going to lie. So I went to work and I trained harder than ever. 99, 2000, 2001 were probably the three best years of footy that I had until the injuries came along. And then, of course, you know, injuries and new coach and all that sort of stuff happened. So that was the outcome from it. Yeah. How far away from Princess Park was the family home there, Kuda? No, no, probably four, 30 to 40 minute drive. We lived in the northern part of Melbourne, Thomastown Layla, which was the Calden zone. So at 14, I got the letter at the Calden Football Club to go out, go down and train in their under 15 development squad back in the, mm-hmm. the later part of the 80s. So we were. But you're a Collingwood supporter too, right? <laughs> yeah, I was mad Collingwood, but Reservoir was uh, the, the uh, Collingwood zone, which was one of our neighbouring suburbs. But it wasn't so when I got the letter from Carl, I was like, oh God, how can I do this? But. Our area was, you know, a lot of migrants and Australians there, and um, we just had an incredible upbringing. Had so many great athletes around me, and we just played on the streets and just did, you know, everything together. And maybe, you know, it was it was just fun days. It was, even our local footy club, East Thomastown, we then um, had someone come over and recruited us to local footy club. And I was only there for maybe four years. Before you know, I had to play under the 19s at Carlton, and I didn't want to give away Lalo, but they were probably the four greatest years. You know, of my life, just spending time with the boys down there. There was, uh, you know, all us European boys with the Australian boys, and we we became like family down there. And my parents loved it, and we're one big happy family down at Lower Footy Club, and they were great memories. Could you miss playing in front of a packed crowd at Princess Park? Was that different to the MCG? Yeah, uh, yeah, the twenty five thousand people packed Princess Park, streaming in local footy. That was like playing in front of ninety hundred thousand at the MCG. It was loud. Yeah, that was the great, the best stadium in my opinion. Until Ian Collins, you know, came along and decided to that was no more. John Elliott would never have let that happen. I, st- I still think they could have stayed there. So it's a ground that the AFL probably still need. You know what I mean? But they, it didn't happen. And unfortunately, that's the way it goes. So, yeah, that was an incredible feeling, and particularly in the 90s, early 2000s, you know, third quarter, like they did in the 80s, we just sort of did and imitated them, you know, 10 goals bang in one quarter, and the crowd just going crazy. It was, the game was over, and it was a little bit of fun in the last quarter. So they were, they were fantastic memories there at Princess Park that, you know, I'll never forget. Yeah, Kuda, you know, you were amongst a, a bunch of players that, you know, you got paid a little bit more, you know, you were... Like you spoke about before, you had sponsors coming after you, one of the most well sought after for media interviews and things like that. In terms of you signing your first big contract, you know, you spoke yeah. before about not having that much money when you grew up. Who taught you to handle it? And did you have, like, I know you talked about mentors before. Did they look after you also off the field? Well, I had to learn ourselves. And my mum and dad was always just buy property, property, property. And that's all they knew, you know. So I, I did a uh, uh, financial planning course as well just to teach myself a little bit of, you know, diversifying. Have I made mistakes? 100% I've made mistakes. Have I made some good investments? Yeah, 100% I've made some good investments as well. I'm still learning, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I certainly haven't haven't got you know 100 strike rate. I can assure you, but I was lucky enough that you know I put money away by the time I finished footy, so it's given me a good foundation for now, and you know, and and the family uh, in in going forward as well. So you know, if I had to listen to mum and dad, I, I think I would have done probably better than. <laughs> what I have now, just probably, 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 but who would have known that, you know, I would have had such an incredible run in the last 20 years, like the way that it has. Yeah. Could you talk to me a little bit about mindset training? When you were playing, did you ever go to, like, a sports psychiatrist? Were you big into visualisation or meditation or anything like that? Visualisation, 100%. In 94, when I got dropped for two weeks, the club told me to go to ask whether I wanted to go and see a sports psychologist by the name of Anthony Stewart. And I said, mate, whatever it takes, but I, you know, I'm going to do this. So I went down to see him. He told me these words, I can, I will, you just watch me. And I highlighted them in my diary every single day. And those words changed my life. And it didn't take long to really impact me because even at training, I'll be thinking, I can, I will, you just watch me. And so I started using a diary for the first time ever when my brother told me about it in, in high school. He used a diary, he used a diary. No, 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 Paul. I don't need it, and uh, it came true that in 1994 I had to start using a diary, and yeah. I've used a diary ever since, and diary is not hard, it's just writing down things that you need to do so you can take control of your day and not let the day can control you. So those words, I can, I will, you just watch me, have changed my life, and I try to instill them into my uh, Herbalife organisation now to try to teach them, you know, that w- find some words or something that's going to impact you and change your mindset. So visualisation, yes, the night before a game, I always never really went out. 95% of the time, never went anywhere but stayed at home. Just, you know, visualise only for, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes or whatever it was just to, you know, visualise the way I was going to play the next day. And um, even the day of the game was always, you know, laying in bed visualising. So I was a big one for that, 100%. Yeah, could when you were saying those words, was that directed to the coach that dropped you or was that directed to yourself? <laughs> Now, to myself, you know, I can't believe you just watch me. Um, you know, David Parkin and I probably didn't see eye to eye early on, but now he's one of my great, you know, mentors. I, I look at him as like a father figure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for everything that I went through, I put a little bit of blame on him, particularly when I was younger, but realised, you know what, yeah, it's not all his fault. It's a little bit me too, because I guess I was so genetically blessed and talented as an athlete. Maybe I didn't train as hard as what I should have. And maybe he's seen that in me as well and probably wasn't impressed by the way that I went about it. But I looked laconic when I played and, and trained. Eventually, I had to put a heart rate on, a heart rate monitor on me just to see if I, my heart rate was actually moving, you know. And so they worked out eventually that actually the guy is doing the very best that he can. I didn't have great endurance, believe it or not, but I had, you know, speed and power. And so I had to work on my endurance quite a bit. But once they understood me, um, you know, and my game started to go, they could see what I was capable of doing. Yeah, I was the first yeah. athlete, Tristan. Don't forget, I was the first. Sorry, I was the first athlete to come into the game. So they were probably a little bit like, uh, what, "What do we do with this guy? You know, like where do we play him? He can play in every position and whatever." And so, being the first one there was a little bit like unsure. And so once they worked out how they can play me then, you know, things started to unfold. In particular, you know, when they, I was the, the tallest midfielder to ever come into the game, was like, no, no, this is unheard of. Six foot three, you know, almost 100 kilos going in the middle. And now every club, you know, look for players like that that they can uh, play in the midfield. Could have you ever had a chance to ask David exactly what he saw in you, especially to give you a debut? You know, you spoke about not seeing eye to eye at times, but at the same time you see him as a great influence. Have you ever had a chance to ask him that? 
No, not really. I think he's the first to admit that he, he wasn't able to get the best out of myself. And Wayne Britton was, so he would say that. But I haven't really sat down with him to ask. Who knows what will come out of his mouth? <laughs> He'll make up something <laughs> for me to believe. But, uh, yeah, I never, I haven't had the opportunity. Maybe if I do, I'll say, maybe I need to find out. So when I talk, I know what to say. <laughs> talk to me about the 95 Premiership because, <clears throat> you know, you only debuted in 92. So you're a relatively young bloke when you <clears throat> had to step up and virtually take Carlton to the crown. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I was 22. And uh, that year there was a special one because we only lost two games of the entire season. I think at that stage it was an AFL record until Essendon beat it in year 2000. Um, we lost to the two bottom teams, but everyone else we dominated. We had the most incredible team of leaders. And uh, that's when uh, the sports psychologist that I went to go and see, Carlton employed him after he had such a great effect on me. Uh, they employed him at the club and so he started to work there full time. And, um, yeah, he said to Parker, you've got some incredible leaders, just want to hand it over to them a little bit more instead of being so controlling. And so, you know, we sat down, came up with a game plan we all believed in and whatever, we went from there. And I think in the pre-season, I don't even think we won a game, but then come round one, it started, you know, boom, boom, boom. And sometimes we were behind even at half time, but we knew we'd just go out there and start, you know, playing the footy that we can and, and beat every team. So we got to the finals and we came up against Brisbane Bears. They had a phenomenal run in the second half of the year, and we just sort of got over the line of them. So you have to picture this. In 94, we went out in straight sets. After yeah. being on top of the ladder round 21, in round 22, we lost Essence, so we finished second. Then we lost to uh, Melbourne, who was seventh. And then we lost to Geelong, who had about four or five of their absolute star players out. We got thrashed. So everyone was saying we were too old and slow. And so three-quarter time of the game was in the balance against Brisbane. And then Parker put me up full four, and I think Sticks kicked the first one, I kicked the next three, and so then it was game over, but we still only won by 16 points. And then the prelim final, we thrashed the Kangaroos by over 10 goals, and then come grand final, the game was over by half time. And we were up by 80 odd points in the last quarter, and then Geelong kicked maybe three or four, you know, just easy ones at the end. And uh, I had Lee Cole with their best tagger on me, they came to me on the wing, because obviously they thought, you know, we're going to try to stop, you know, Cuda, but. You know, I ended up playing a you know, really good game You know, for a young kid at 22. And Greg Williams won the Norm Smith medal. He had 31 possessions, kicked five goals. You know, I had 31 off the wing. I was thinking in my head, I wish I played in the midfield. I might have had 38 or 40, you know. But I, I was. Uh, it was just the best day of my entire life still to this day. It, it was the greatest day of my life to win that premiership. It was one, as a young kid, you dream of playing AFL footy. But I don't know if I ever dreamt of being a premiership player. And so to be able to take that with me when I know many superstar players haven't done that previously, uh, it's, a, it's a beauty. Um, but I thought we would have won many, many more. You know, being the Carlton Football Club was our 16th premiership and that was 22 years ago, half of my life ago, and we haven't been able to do it. But that's when the rule of the notoriety, like the craziness of people and the amount of letters, I don't think the club ever seen so many supporters' letters coming for one player and... You know, everyone wanted to know about, you know, Cuda and the sponsors and promos and so I got followed around. So that's when it really propelled. Like, 94 was pretty big, but 95 it really got to another level that I never really expected it to be. Yeah, tasting, you know, success in 95 compared to what you just said, you never got to taste it again. What was the difference between the 95 group and winning a premiership and the rest of the groups? 
<clears throat> we got close in 99, we got to the grand final. Grand final. We probably didn't deserve it, but we beat Essendon, who were the unbeatables in the prelim final by one point. And North Melbourne were ready, I guess, because they had lost the two, I think, a year or two before, both year or no, they definitely lost the year before when they were favourites. So they were just that little bit more ready and I think had a bit more belief. I don't think they were anything too special, but we just didn't put it together on that day because I think, you know, our victory against Essendon will go down from the greatest game Apart from all the premierships, the greatest game that the current supporters will ever, ever remember in 99. And then year 2000, we won 13 games in a row. And then against Essendon, round 20, in front of 90-odd thousand people, was the biggest game. I had my best year that year. But then the first quarter, you know, Jason Johnson came across my knee and I snapped my posterior. And so I was out for the rest of the year. And so I was gone. I think Brad, Bradley got a hamstring. We just got some injuries that year in 2001. It was the same thing. We got to the finals in actually pretty good form. We thrashed Adelaide in the first round of the finals by, I don't know, 60 points or whatever it was, and we were looking the goods. Came up against Richmond, third quarter. Went to kick the ball off the ground. Many nights came across my knee, snapped my knee, gone. I was gone. I think Silvani snapped his hamstring. I, I don't know. And so we just really had bad luck in those, in particular 2000, 2001, because no doubt we were the second best team in 2000, but who knows we had to come up against Essendon. I can't take it away from Essendon because they only lost one game for the entire year. But who knows that us at full strength what we could have done because of what we did previous. And then from 2003, it was just the debacle of the new, you know, new president, new coach, and the club just went from the, the most incredible culture to just it just did a complete turn turnaround, and it was just like a completely different club than day. And so since then, they just haven't been able to recover, unfortunately. And it's amazing. How decades of incredible culture can just turn turn around overnight if not careful. Guys, we hope you're enjoying the episode with Cuda. If you haven't yet, please check out some of our latest episodes. Last week we had on Garth from the Hood Wood, a stunning boxer and NRL player. You know, he's known for knocking out Anthony Mundine. It was quite a chat. We've also had on the likes of Shane Heal, Nikolai Topol-Stanley, Leroy Loggins, a whole heap of swimming superstars including Kieran Perkins and Michael Klim. So go back and check out the back catalogue. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes and leave me a five-star review. And if you want to get in touch with me, best way is email Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. But let's get back to the show. Here's Kuda. Yeah, Kuda, you're a one-club man. Was there ever a stage in your whole career where you might have got a, a big offer from someone else that you might have considered actually going? Oh, look, I got a big offer even in you know when Port Adelaide you know came in into the competition and then other teams yeah. too. But I was never going to leave. I I just loved the Carlton Footy Club dearly. If there was ever a time I was going to leave, it would have been for the last five years. Yes, um, you know under you know pretty trying conditions for me in particular. I just want to play finals footy. I love the club more than anything. But it wasn't going to happen. So I, that's when I had my big contract, and you know it was just difficult times and for whatever happened. But that would that definitely, if I was out of contract and still playing good footy, I probably would have looked at it. Maybe at that time, maybe mm. I'm glad I didn't because I'd rather be a one club player. And, and I'm glad that I stuck it out and you know being a real man by hanging in there when when the times are tough and that too. But it got you know it taught me a lot of things about life and you know the way you have to treat people and management and all that sort of stuff. And when you get a good environment. Uh, from the top to bottom, you can win a premiership, but if it's not, if it's unstable at the top, it filters down all the way to the bottom. And I assume that business is is no different in uh, the way that is as well as a footy club or sporting organisation. 
Yeah, well, you got the honour of leading leading the team for three years as well when you became captain. How did you find yeah. out you were going to become the club captain of Carlton? Well, Dennis called me, and I was like a bit shocked, in all honesty. So he said we want you to be captain. So that was very nice of him. I'm, you know, I'm very thankful that he did see me in that sort of way. And so, you know, as you walk in as a 14 year old as a junior and play two years under 15s, and then you know two years under 19s, and then reserves and seniors. That was really fulfilling for me to, you know, you know, captain the club. It's just the only problem was just really trying times and difficult when, you know, you're finishing down the bottom almost every year except for my first year that I captain. I think we finished 11th and that was the closest we got to the finals under, you know, the last five years that I was there. So it was difficult, but, you know, still at the end of the day, an honour to captain the Carlton Football Club. Yeah, when you have trying times like you just did mention, as captain... What are some of the things that you're trying to instill in some of these young blokes? Oh, mate, you've got to try to be as positive as you can. But, look, the coach has the reign to be able to do whatever he wants to do. And, you know, we try to talk to him. But, you know, there's, if he doesn't want to listen, there's not much I can do. So could I have done my role better? Yes, if I, if I had another coach, possibly. You know, I mean, I could have done it differently. But, unfortunately, you're a little bit hamstrung, you know, tied up that I wasn't able to do maybe some of the things I would have loved to have done as a leader. Cody, you came up with some great captains, you know, starting with Stephen Kernahan. Who was the most influential leader in your career, you feel? Uh, look, Sticks was a great captain. But, so, you know, Brattles took over it after, you know, he was renowned as, Stephen Kernahan was renowned as probably the greatest captain of all time. So, and Brattles took over it like it was no problem also. So mm. them two, you know, Definitely. I mean, Rats came along after that, but that was, you know, under Dennis, and he didn't last, you know, he lasted the year and then retired, or halfway through the year, I think he retired, and then all that stuff, so it was like turmoil there. But, look, they were both great leaders, but Sticks had probably 15 great leaders when I first turned up at the footy club. It wasn't just him, you know, he surrounded himself. It was uh, the entire club had the most incredible leaders there when I walked in, so they quickly taught us young guys what was required and what you had to do if you wanted to be a senior footballer, footballer at the Carlton Football Club. But that was led well by John Elliott also, who instilled to us it was only about premierships, nothing else, the Carlton Football Club. And so that was the environment I walked into, success and power and strength. And I walked out probably the complete opposite, you know. You really struggled for confidence through your whole career, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I was never one that had high confidence. I think I was the one that, I think if a coach embraced and put his arm around me and said, I believe in you, I'd probably like go out there and like break through walls for him, you know. So yeah. the the days of dictatorship was something I didn't thrive on, even under-19s. You know, our coach then, Ross Henshaw, he was a dictator as well, and that's how the footy environment was back then. Whereas I had someone like Rod Ashman in the reserves who, you know, he wasn't a dictator, he was just a fantastic guy. So I could play good footy under him, you know. I won the reserves best and personal fullback in 92 and... You know, I played some really good footy for him, and that's how I sort of like my coaches more so than just getting, you know, like yelled at and berated yeah. in front of everyone. I would rather them say, like what Wayne Britton Barry Mitchell said to me, you know, just go and just do your best, do all the little things. As long as you're trying, we're happy. Don't worry about how many possessions you get. Then you go, okay, the pressure's off. I just got to go out there and make sure I'm doing the team things and everything else before we'll be okay. So yeah, I, and yeah, and that's where you know I was lucky. My family were the ones who probably built me up with confidence because they could see something in me that maybe I I couldn't because I kept getting pushed back, you know, by by the coach and the coaching staff. When I think 
I'm good enough to play and you're not getting picked, it eventually has a toll on you, in particular three and a half years. You know, you think when's this going to change? When, so you're looking at some players going, hang on, but I played better than him in the reserves, but you're picking him, why? Why not me? And then playing me off the bench and then, you know, get a few, think you've done all right, and the next week you're in the reserves again. So it was a mental battle for me and uh, the confidence part was difficult also. Yeah, did you used to analyse your games much? Yeah, I did, yeah. I used to sit down after a game and, you know, write down my report, my own report on where I could improve to get a little bit better. No different than when I did athletics when I was younger. So, yeah, footy was the same sort of thing. I don't know where the paperwork is now, but I should go back and have a look at it. <laughs> Kurt, just a fun question. How long could you kick that ball? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know, maybe on a good day, maybe, you know, 55, 60, maybe. I think I, I kicked one goal from about 60 out that covered the line, you know, so it just depends. And other times I probably kicked from 15 didn't make the distance. So it just depends on the day, maybe a little bit of wind or whatever. But definitely 50, 55, and maybe if I was lucky, 60, I guess, or maybe a bit further on a, on a lucky day, I'm not sure. Yeah, I was listening to something on Kobe Bryant, and he was talking about just hitting just a whole heap of free throws and just different angles on the court. He would try to hit 20 in a row before he could leave the court. When you were at training, yeah. did you have something yeah. similar? Oh, I always did extras. It wasn't goal kicking. It wasn't really my forte. So I didn't do that. But I did a lot of the marking stuff, you know, all that. Anything extra I could do, yeah, I definitely did. I try to stay, you know, get there early, try to leave late. It wasn't always, don't get me wrong, but in particularly if I was struggling or whatever, I realised how much extra work you had to do. So I enjoyed, you know, staying there later. Uh, in particular when it was fun times at the club, you know, getting there early and late. And, and every sports person, I think any elite sports person is in the same boat. Kuda, mm. who would you think, say, was your toughest competitor? My toughest opponent was Matthew Richardson, a Richmond. Oh, he was such an incredible athlete. He had speed and endurance, like a, uh, you know, a midfielder that's got both. And, you know, he's six foot five, so he's bigger than me. And I played on him a couple of times in, in defence, like in his domain. But that was probably an error. Like in 98, 99, 99, I pretty much beat everyone at centre back because I got, you know, played down at the, in defence. And um, but he was one that I couldn't stop. So the twice that I played him, I think I even played him in a practice match once, and he did the same thing to me. He just blew me up. They opened up the four fifty, and he just ran crazy. And people always just like are in surprise when I tell them that. I thought I think he was one of the greatest players, in my opinion, because I played on you know all the greats, but he was just full. He was my kryptonite, if that makes sense, you know. He was one guy that could really just expose me, you know, and what I was able to do. So, it, to me, Matty Richardson was a phenomenal player. Yeah, Kid, was there anyone that used to get under your skin that right now that you're actually really good mates? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if there was anyone in particular. I mean, you know, there was Bulldogs back in their days, the late 90s, just, you know, big mouths <laughs> Went for it, you know, you talk to them all now, and I think that's footy now as well, you know. When you hang out with the, the, the players of the 80s, they used to go and bowl each other, you know what I mean? And now they're like all good mates and whatever, so I don't think there's anyone in particular. All right, let's talk a little bit away from footy now. Back to your herbal life stuff. In terms of where you want to go with this now, Kuda, have you had a, a sit down and developed a bit of a vision for, for where you want to do with this, man? On the herbal life, I've got, a, I've got a vision for that. I've created some great leaders uh, in my organisation that are starting to really grow now into, you know, into the leaders that they need to be. So they want to, I guess, tick off all their goals that they've got written down. And um, 
So look, that's in a good position. I've also got a uh, something else that I'm, I'm launching called Cuda Fit as well, and that's going to be you know away from Herbalife because people ask me about training and people ask me about you know normal whole food eating as well. And so I understand what you need to do for training. I want to make a, uh, a training program that's sustainable, like nutrition for the future, like build a solid foundation and train for the rest of your life. Make it fun so you enjoy doing it and and see the results and get results and get better. And so I'm just developing that program as well, which will be nothing to do with Herbalife. It's something on the side of that. And so I'm, I'm hoping in the next couple of months that will be ready to launch for people to be able to train from home. Uh, time poor, you know, like me. I've got three kids, um, but you've got to, you know, there's commitments to the kids and the family, but you've got to find time for yourself as well. And so hopefully this really attracts a lot of the people out there. It's a big market. There's a lot of competitors out there, but I want to have... Hopefully my own niche of the, you know, that older generation, business people, whatever they are, who've got kids who can find a little bit of time and even mothers with kids as well, you know, that have got time to just train at home. I want to make yeah, it fantastic. fun and unique and, yeah, and hopefully I can build on that as well and to get it real more specific to certain people as well that, you know, certain higher levels of training and stuff like that. So hopefully that's not too far away, Tristan. So stay tuned. I'm really excited about that part as well. Yeah, we'll get you back on as soon as it's, uh, as soon as it's out. Yeah. We'll get you back on, definitely. Could, what does your training look like now? My training now? Yeah. Yeah, um, my training now, I basically train Monday and Tuesday with a friend of mine uh, who's a PT as well, Dave Rowden, and he's, he's a fantastic guy, so we push each other to live, but I have fun. So I don't train overly hard because people go, you always train, I train four, maybe five times a week if I'm lucky, sometimes three, but it doesn't matter, you know, but what I do is I look forward to my training, so I don't make it difficult, like a time trial where you go, oh, I don't want to get up because I can't be bothered, you know, so we have fun, I've teamed up with someone, sometimes I train on my own, it's not a problem. Thursday morning I train with another great friend of mine, Eros, who's uh, helping me uh, develop the program for the Cuda Fit, and Eros I've been training with for, for quite a while, we do athletics training on that morning. And, uh, you know, Friday I'm, I might do my leg weights. So I train for, sometimes on a Sunday if I'm not busy traveling or anything, I'll go for a quick run, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, like nice and easy. I don't ever sort of push myself too hard. And that's all I do. So when you think of the amount of training we do for footy, I'll probably do 20% of what we did, but still I'm probably leaner now than what I was when I played footy. So you can be smart about the way you train, preserve the body, and uh, look good and stay young forever. Yeah, but well, not recovery as well, like, you know, you in your 40s now, you're doing less. Does your body feel better because you're not going to the max eight hours a day? Yeah, it feels great. It feels great. I never train eight hours. It's only dancing. But, you know, with footy, you know, you train an hour, an hour and a half. It was two hours training. So, you, you, you know, so you can recover. So you can look forward to it. You've got to have fun too. It's training, but it's got to be fun. You know, yeah, mm. times you've got to push, push hard and whatever. Your body adapts. You get used to it. And then you move on. So, yeah, it's good in that way, and, and the body does recover better. And now, remember, remember, Tristan, I want to train for as long as I possibly can. You know, touch wood. You know, there's obviously things that are going to come up, and maybe going to stop me. But while I'm, you know, 44 now, I'm still going to look forward to training for as long as I can. Be a good role model for my kids and teach them, you know, to stay healthy, uh, active. You know, live a great lifestyle so you can enjoy the time that we have in this, on this planet. Yeah, definitely. All right, Kurt, I've got a couple of personality questions just to wrap things up. In terms of yeah. your favourite ground, outside of Princess Park and MCG, where would you be yeah. your favourite ground to play? Oh, my God. Should I say Etihad? Because it's like in Melbourne. 
<laughs> I don't know. All the interstate grounds, I don't think I liked anyone in particular. Maybe Subiaco's because it was nice and big in my younger days. I, I certainly liked it out there, but yeah, maybe Idiot Stadium. Well, actually, you know what? If you want to be honest, truth, Lola Footy Club, mate. If I could go back there, I should go back there. I think I'm due for a visit just to go and remember some of the old days. Yeah, definitely. All right. When you were growing up, Cooter, what posters did you have on your bedroom wall? Oh, geez, I had Carl Lewis. So I had athletic ones. Like I remember having Olympics ones, and uh, I, had, I think I had a few female models up there. I think Samantha Fox was one of them. She was always popular back in the eighties. So I, it was it was always sporting stuff. But I, I can still remember I had a Samantha Fox. I don't know, maybe a Sabrina. Who knows who I had back right. then? That's telling you something about myself, anyway. So. <laughs> All right, Kurt, a final question. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You've got five invites. Now, the only rules, no family or friends, but it can oh, be anyone, God. dead or alive. Who would you like to invite? Uh, well, maybe Carl Lewis, because I loved him. Ben Johnson, because he was an unbelievable athlete in that 100-metre final. At so you're a high jumper. Forget. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know, but the sprinting part was was great. I know I loved Patrick Schoberg back then, who was a high jumper. And uh, Anyway, the list... Colin Jackson is a hurdler, so the list goes on. Um, I think someone like Warren Buffett, who's so successful, you know, as a business person. Um, who else could I have? There's a lot. I mean, I, yeah, Sylvester Stallone, Sylvester Stallone, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. To the whole start, you know, they're the people that I grew up that I loved and idolised. You know, as a, as a young kid. So out of the three, I'd probably have to pick Arnold and. Uh, Sliced alone, but the Hulkster would be a close one. Maybe I'll get rid of Ben Johnson. Mate, I'll give you Hulk six. I'll give you there. six, buddy. Yeah, right. <laughs> you've got to fit. You've got to fit the Hulkster in there, mate. Is <laughs> my? Oh no, but hang on, hang on. Oh no, I love David Robinson as well. The Spurs and Magic oh, Johnson, Larry Bird, and Michael Jordan. Oh God, how could I forget them? I knew there was others. Yeah, oh yeah, because of David Robinson, the tallest big man ever to play the game. I, I loved him, and his physique was unbelievable. But. Who can go past Michael Jordan? Can I get rid of Everett? Can I start again? Because I've got to fit Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah, Peter. <laughs> I'll get rid of. I'll get rid of Carl. <laughs> I'll have to go. Look, I'd have to go. As much as I love David Robinson, Michael Jordan was the greatest player of all, the greatest sports person of all time. So I'll put him. I'll put Carl Lewis. I'll put Warren Buffett, and I think uh, Sly and Arnold. So I'm sorry to the Hulkster. I'm sorry to Dave Robinson <laughs> and uh, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. I apologise. But uh, all them just wonderful, wonderful people. Hey, it's, am- it's amazing how behind... 90 descendants. So. Was there a meaning behind number 43 at all? It was my mum's birth year. So when I got given that jersey, that, that was going to stay with me forever. So, yeah, it had, had something, yeah. So something you were given it, you didn't, you didn't select it? Yeah, I didn't select it. The club actually gave me 43 as well. Is un- unbelievable. My mum's born in 1943. I'll keep this. And it was just a yeah. big, it was a large number, and it just, I don't know, suited me, and I loved it. I'm glad I did did get it, yeah. Do you believe in fate, Kuta? Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. It's a nice little it was meant to be. connection there with your mum, yeah. Yeah. All right, Kuta, before I let you go, I want everyone following Anthony, www.anthonykutafides.com. On Facebook, he's Kutafit. Twitter, he's Anthony Cooter, or Instagram, he's also Anthony Cooterfides. Anything else that you would like to add there, Cooter? 
No, that's fine. I've got the fan Facebook pages where Anthony Cooper fans where I do my uh, AFL footy tipping with the kids and many other motivational yeah. videos on there and stuff as well. So, yeah, we can't forget that. Although the season's almost done, they can go back and have a look at some of the, some of the stuff. Again, a lot of views with the uh, kids <laughs> and the so, tipping. Mate, who won the tipping comp? Uh, well, I'm just in front by one. Oh, actually, the, the weekend... finals count done. now, or...? Oh, yeah, we're going to go through the finals also. It's going to be actually real close. I'm not sure who did well this weekend. Well, uh, we still haven't tallied it up, and the kids have no interest anyway, so it'll be me doing it, so I might even just cheat. Don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I want to do that. No, I want an interesting. Good, I really appreciate you taking the time to, you know, chat with us and give us insights into your career. It's been fascinating, man, and I loved it, bro. Ah, pleasure, Tristan. Thanks for the opportunity to speak, man. We finally got together, we did it now. <laughs> no, absolutely, and we'll get definitely get you back on when you launch... Coup to fit because I think it's going to help a lot of people around the world. Yeah, cool. I look forward to it, buddy. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode with Kuda. You know, it's a great, he's just such a great athlete, great character, and great dude. I'm really glad for him and just doing everything he's doing in health and fitness now. You know, I was a personal trainer for quite a long time as well. So I love the health and wellness space, and for him to be tackling that path and, you know, just giving back, giving back to the community and, you know, it's something he's passionate about because it must be really, really hard to find something passionate after so many years at top-level AFL. Next on the show, guys, we've got David Reynolds. If you don't know who Dave is, he's a V8 supercar driver for the Erebus motorsport team. He's quite the character. He's from, he's originally from Albury, but he's now based in Melbourne, but it was quite the chat and, you know, leading into, you know, events like Bathurst. If you haven't, if you don't know who he is, check out his Instagram and his Twitter. He's quite funny. Last week, I had on the Sandow 500 and it was a bit of a retro theme and Dave just got all dressed up and it was quite a laugh. So he's just one of those characters. You don't really see that a huge amount in sport anymore in terms of players just letting loose and just really showing their true side. So go out and check him out before we bring him on next week. If you have any feedback on the show, please send it through to Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Love for you to connect with me. Facebook, I'm Tristan Connell or Talking With TK. TNL Fitness on Twitter or you can find me at Tristan Nell on Instagram. But for now, I'm Tristan Connell and this was Talking With TK.